Hi, uh, this is Ryan Patterson. You're listening to the Improv Conspiracy Podcast, and these are my thoughts on listening like a thief. Conspiracy Podcast with your host, Bronnie. Hello there, my friends. Welcome to the Improv Conspiracy Podcast, the podcast where we talk to someone about a little nugget of improvised comedy that they find interesting and therefore want to share. Uh, I'm your host, Bronnie, as you've already been told. And listen, if you're um, if you're still keeping tabs on the regularity of this podcast, you, you best stop because... I'm just releasing it when I can, my friends. Thank you to those uh, wonderful students at the Improv Conspiracy who have noted the um, slowdown, the big, the big slowdown we call it, of podcast releasing. You know what that means? I'm seeing your faces in real life, and that's nice. Uh, things are going well at the theater. We got shows, we got classes, and there's lots of joy happening. Um, but still, hopefully this podcast will remain a resource that we can refer to for the rest of time. Today on the show, I have a dear old friend, Ryan Patterson. Ryan and I uh, came up at the Improv Conspiracy at very similar times. He was uh, about a kilometer ahead of me on the improv path, and boy, was it fun to be driving behind him. (laughs) Uh, He is an improviser, teacher, producer, and a co-founder of Sooth Players, the troupe that do improvised Shakespeare and improvised Jane Austen and improvised Harry Potter. Uh, he's talking today about listening like a thief. I loved the conversation. His dog is featured. It's a good time. Here he is, my friends. Enjoy. What does it mean to listen like a thief? I'm just playing a lot of Dungeons and Dragons at the moment. And I, I've been thinking about how thieves are opportunists. And I play a rogue who is a thief. And I'm always looking to pick up shiny things um, that someone else has dropped. And I think this relates nicely to improv because I'm always looking for shiny things that my fellow players drop. And uh, I just gather them up. And it's funny uh, that when I'm thinking of the things that I treasure in improv, my first thought went to when I'm watching from the sidelines, I'm not even on the stage. Uh, and, and I'm lucky because I get to play with people that I really love and respect and just I'm a big fan of. So I'm watching them play and uh, I, I like watching them work. And it means that I'm actively engaged in, in watching the show uh, and I'm not the centre of the attention. And this level of engagement is actually uh, quite beneficial uh, as it ensures that I'm not in my head thinking about something hilarious that I want to say because inevitably it won't be um, funny or or as engaging as it was in my head or even worse, I might, might not even be thinking about the show at all if I'm not watching my fellow players. I might be thinking about the fact that I've just done 22 shows in a row and I'm quite tired or uh, you know how, whether the traffic's going to be bad when I go home. So by watching the players and looking for those shiny things, I'm going to be super engaged. 
but what am I looking for? Well, what's shiny to me is probably not, maybe not to you, but these are the things that I look for. Firstly, as I mostly play in the realm of long form narrative and in particular in genre, I'm looking for details about the world in which our little play is set and the characters that inhabit it. Uh, maybe how the society that we've constructed is structured, it may be physical characteristics of the space or the, the world in which we are. For example, one show we performed, each setting had a very specific architectural feature which was referenced in passing. So each player in turn sprinkled their own observations of this feature. And it's, that's easy, right? It's just remembering something and then saying it later. But it does create a richness to the world um, of the play. And audiences just love thatched roof content. And the second thing I'll look for is games. I'll be keeping an eye on different games characters are playing. So when our characters in invariably meet, I'll know what buttons need to be pushed. If a character has a problem with being called a little man, you bet I'm going to bring up his diminutive stature. Uh, and, and there may be less character-centric games like wordplay that has little impact on plot, that adds uh, flavour to the show. And by honouring fellow players through reincorporating these things, seems like it's meant to be that way. Uh, the shiniest thing I look for is mistakes. Reincorporating or justifying a mistake can make the other players seem like the geniuses we know they are. So just about every review we've ever gotten for Swift Players has included a version of the phrase, they made some mistakes, but the way they incorporated them was amazing. Now, that may be just that people can't write reviews on improv, or it could be that we intended that. Because the truth is, if I was given the power to just do a perfect show with no mistakes at all, I'd say, nah, I, I think I'll be right. Because the misheard names, confused plans, and early entries usually become one of the highlights of the show. But they only work if they're picked up by another player. So one example, um, once we did this show in the Shakespeare show uh, that was set in ancient Greece and one player misremembered one of the characters' names and at the moment we had a choice to ignore it uh, and hope the audience didn't notice. They did, um, they always do. Uh, or we could pick up that ball and call it out or justify it. And what we did uh, was uh, I stated basically that they were using the Roman version of the name instead of the Greek. And from there, we had this Roman versus Greek names that came up in each scene. And these corrections, justifications, reframings make us all seem like wizards, which is another thing from Dungeons and Dragons. And, and, and the last thing I'm looking for is actually the opportunity to give something back, like Robin Hood, who is also a thief. <laughs> this is when the players need something that I have in my pocket, which will assist, clarify, or heighten what's happening on stage. I'm not necessarily going to stop uh, or pop into a scene and, and drop the truth down uh, right there. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I'll <laughs> adopt my soothsayer character and just lay down some truth and then disappear. But most of the time I'll wait until later to, to justify or, or um, clarify. Um, the example earlier, for example, with the uh, Greek versus Roman names, I came in like maybe the next scene or the scene after that, and that's when I justified that um, mistake. 
So that space actually made the payoff a lot more because we had that that space for the audience to think, oh man, how embarrassing was it that that guy got that guy's name wrong? Oh my gosh, they didn't get that name wrong. What? Um, that was a, it's quite a fun moment, right? So when you when you're on the sidelines, you have that perspective that the other players that are in the scene don't. And you can take in the entire shape of the show and assess what's missing. And uh, when I'm on the sidelines, I'm always thinking, okay, whose story is this? And how can I make it worse or better for them? Depending if I'm feeling nice that day. If we're talking about thieves, you are talking like a, a, a Robin Hood type thief with a giving side of them. Yeah. I'm not just remembering all the zingers and then taking them to another show. <laughs> yeah. Something you mentioned that I thought was cool because it comes up all the time in class um, that I teach and that's active engagement on the sidelines. Easier said than done, but I, you've said pretty much what I always feel like is the right method and that's just like watch it like you are enjoying the show from the audience. Yeah, absolutely. You need to be there. You need to be uh, watching and engaged. Like, for example, uh, I teach a lot of Harold classes and constantly the question is like, how do I remember all three threads of the Harold? And it's and the answer, I think, is just don't spend the whole first beat thinking about what you'll do to the first thread. Because <laughs> that's unfortunately, that's what we tend to do is like try to think of the best idea possible. Yeah, and it is a little bit of a muscle that you need to the build to be able to file things away to bring back later. Um, but I, I, I do think that, yeah, just watching the show, just watch it. You got a free ticket. Yeah, exactly. A free ticket uh, right up close to some of your favorite performers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Here's a question because you collect these ideas, right? And then I don't imagine, but correct me if I'm wrong. I don't imagine you're like spending the rest of the show going like, can't, can't wait to use that idea. <laughs> Are you just sort of like waiting? You're not even waiting for anything. You're just like, I'm going to play and then trust that that thing that I've got is going to be required. Yeah. Cause those times will reveal themselves in the moment. I think, cause you still need to improvise. Yeah, exactly. You can't just come out and blurt that line as soon as you <laughs> initiate, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of this mercurial thing where you're, just in the scene and then it pops in. Oh, that's right. Architraves. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. I love those moments where like you're towards the end of a show and you go, you, you, you totally took your mind off some detail that you remembered that you, that you made a note of earlier. And then like, it just shows you that it was worthwhile to make that note. You weren't like, it'll just like fly past you on the wind and you'll be like, Oh yeah, that one. And you catch it. And then the audience is like, oh, how, how did, how did they remember that? And it's like, I don't, I wasn't trying to remember it. <laughs> I just paid attention to it. Yeah. I think uh, we, we train quite heavily in that idea of just that reincorporation. Mm. So yeah, it is practice. Yeah. But, um, yeah. It's yeah. It's an interesting base. That's for sure. Um, folding it all back in at the end. But one of the things I do like is when, yeah, we play with each other's toys. So there's nothing more kind of boring, I guess, than watching an improviser that only like plays with their own toys. Yep. And, uh, you know, 
kind of neglect or, or ignore the fact that anyone's bringing anything out. So I think it's really important. And even like, you know, your little man example, like if that was an idea that's in your head, it's still sort of like once you've taken that, you know, it was someone else's game, but like once it's in your head, it's also an idea that you have. So even then later, like we don't want to watch you come in and then force that because that would be an example of you playing with a toy that you just brought apropos of nothing. But like when you happen upon that character and the moment reveals itself as a possibility, you'll do it as soon as you can. But it's not like you're going to jump out and be like, ha ha, the little man's on stage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Quick, I'm, I must get on stage. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. Like, yeah, I quite like those moments where, and I quite like saving those moments for the mm. perfect time. So yeah. you know it's going to get a payoff because it's already yielded results. So you're just waiting for the perfect moment to lay it on and then you reap all those lols. There have been so many shows um, where, like, it's a larger ensemble. You know, most, most of the shows I do are with Mario so I can get most of the things in my head out onto the stage. But whenever I'm in a larger ensemble show, um, I always find it, like, oddly nice to be, like, towards the end of a show and feeling just like all these things are, are are coming together and I'm like, I'm so ready. I've got like, I got like six things that I could slot, but everyone kills it. And you're just like, well, I've, I didn't slot any of them cause it wasn't necessary. But I love like leaving going like, I was ready for the end of that show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. We could always do the show after the show with all the <laughs> yeah. alternates. Yeah. 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 I just want to um, get you to just highlight. Cause you said sort of, you hinted at the idea that like this, thing of standing on the side of the stage and listening to your scene partners to listen for things that they're doing is inherently not about you and that it's easier to listen when you take the gaze off yourself. Can you blow that point up? Well, I, I've always thought I'm a naturally actually a, a quite a shy person, believe it or not. So uh, not making about myself and making about someone else is quite comfortable. Like I, that's kind of my yeah, where I like to live. I feel like it frees up your brain if you're just watching what the other people are doing. And I like to have kind of, I guess, serenity in there. <laughs> yeah. As I'm watching and, and just letting it all kind of wash over me. Yeah. Far things where, where I need them. Yeah. But yeah. And because you also referenced like doing 22 shows in a row and you have done that reliably at the last few festivals. Yeah. And like, especially by, you know, the the old... And the answer is in your scene partner or in your teammates as a whole is like nice in theory to a, to a level one student who's in their third class and just trying to shut yeah. their own brain up. But like it becomes more and more true uh, when you're at, when you are at night 22, because what have you got to, <laughs> to draw upon? Wow. All you've done yeah. the last 22 nights is improv. You've got yeah. like, surely you're, your wells are dry, right? It's actually the best fun. Like when you, particularly when I've done like three shows in a day, and we're talking like hour long Shakespeare or Harry Potter shows or whatever, it, you kind of just uh, get in this weird zone where you are actually just, I, I don't know. It's, it's the third show energy is something special. <laughs> yeah. Just like a, yeah. a like a desert in your brain, ready for anything to happen. Yeah, yeah, but um, with lots of oases, 
Oasi? What is <laughs> I the don't plural? Know. Oasis? No. Yeah, but that's probably Is it. that it? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's all right. I do have an English degree, but... <laughs> yeah, well, I, I teach English, so don't <laughs> tell me. Um, yeah, I think it's also quite fertile just because you're so tired. You're in this kind of reactive state. Yeah. You're like just trying to survive. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. And I, yeah, I just think like if you were someone who wasn't comfortable in finding the answers in your scene partners, those three show days would be like, because I imagine if I was always thinking about my own ideas and always using my own shit, A, I probably wouldn't get half the, B and half the shows I'm in, but B, mm. I'd be sick of improv by now because I'm like, I've got... You're doing too much work. Yeah, and also like yeah. I have the same ideas all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. Every character would be named Luke Egg. <laughs> that wouldn't be such a bad thing. I think, uh, yeah, I, I think it's just too much work, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I'd be exhausted trying to, you know, do the heavy lifting all the time. Let someone else do it. <laughs> yeah. That's my philosophy. <laughs> Let other people do the hard stuff and then I'll come in and uh, scoop it all up. Um, you also mentioned the audience hears it too. And then you, uh, even later you reiterated, like if you, if you try to gloss over a mistake, like the audience has, has already caught you because like, I reject that notion of like the audience are idiots because <laughs> Well, it's yeah, like yeah. they're idiots in that they don't know what they want, but yeah. they're not idiots in that they, they're they missing anything. They see everything. They see what, what you yeah. feel and what you think and what the characters are doing and saying. For our audiences too, we have a lot of people that haven't seen much improv. So we, we kind of need to really look after them at, at the start of the show just to make them feel safe we're gonna look after you it's it's okay and i i've spent a lot of time kind of look and i've i've done it forever and it's probably a bad habit even in movies uh, like watching movies i'll check in with the people i'm watching <laughs> the movie with yeah and i'll do the same with the audience just to see whether they're on board whether they understand uh whether there's things that need clarifying or whether we need to maybe adjust so i'm also watching the audiences where we're playing. Uh, I think kind of trying to build that relationship with the audience is a crucial thing, yep. particularly for the, these non-improv savvy audiences. Sometimes you have people come in, they're like, uh, they have no idea what they're going to watch. Yep, yep, yep. Well, I think I've said this before, but I remember the first time we went to Perth Fringe with the improvised movie. That was when I really discovered that we weren't any good. <laughs> this, yeah. It was like, I, we all thought we would nailing it and i was you know a year and a half into improv or something <laughs> yeah yeah and then like yeah the audience is just like what <laughs> yeah. most of the time what are you, what are you doing and yeah. yeah i was just like oh okay we're not making any yeah. sense there's a bunch of like assumed knowledge going on here <laughs> exactly yeah so we yeah we work pretty hard in that first part of the show just to make sure they know what to expect and how do you how do you mean what do you what do you do well our intros are quite structured um, first of all, um, and then uh, we, I think also the way we let audiences into the space actually makes them feel like they're part of the club automatically. We're always in the space when the doors open. We will usher people in, we will seat, seat them down. Um, we'll call for Shakespeare, we'll call everyone a gentle 
uh, for Potter, we'll call everyone a first year. And, uh, you know, uh, so we kind of make them part of the show in that way. Uh, and then our intros are quite structured. We tell them what's going to happen and then we do that thing. Um, so, yeah, there's no kind of rude surprises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even like from the point of view of saying there won't be any audience interaction after this point. So you can relax. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I find that two pronged because uh, me and Mario do that as well. We say that, you know, I tend to say like this is the last time we'll require your participation. And I mean that A, because I want them to know that they can relax and they're safe, but also B, like, I also don't want you to, I don't want you to shout anything out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it also depends a little bit on, on the show. Uh, and in the show, like sometimes, like we've had sword fights in the audience. We've kind of been kind of wandering around the audience and including people in the show that way. But we would only do that if we felt the audience were really on board. I really loved, I don't know if you need to say any more about this, but I, I just loved you saying that you wouldn't choose to do a show that had no mistakes in it. Because I think that's like, I mean, it's just a nice sentiment regardless, but like that's part of that like second show of improv. Like we're seeing, we're watching Shakespeare and even we're watching improvised Shakespeare, but we're also watching eight people work on something together in real time. And like that show is just as important as this show. I also think there's like the da the danger yeah. of improv. Yeah. Like it could go off the rails at any time. So the audience need to feel that it could yeah. as well. Yeah. And if we were so slick that they thought, well, that, that could have been a real play Ridgy did. And <laughs> You know, it's always a compliment when they they when you hear, "Oh, was that really improvised?" Yeah. But also, it's like, yeah, yeah, it was. We're not liars. I'm a thief, not a liar. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that that danger of uh, of the of it all going off the rails is actually a pretty important part of what we do. I think so far the most you've talked about listening like a thief is like in reference to whilst you're teammates perform and and you also referenced like uh you know whilst your scene mates uh teammates are doing a scene they're gonna not be as aware of all the things in their scene as you are because you have that privileged position outside but then how do you listen like a thief inside your scenes it's a good question i don't know <laughs> um, <laughs> great i guess that yeah i guess i am yeah right i guess i am doing it yeah I'm but, not always aware though. But are you trying to like, I feel like it's fair to be like, well, I'll trust someone else will look after all the shit I'm flinging out here. My job right now is just the person right in front of me and what did they just say and not yeah, what's important I for the show. I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Good one. Good one, Bronny. Oh, yeah. thanks, <laughs> no, I think you're right. Cause I don't really think about it in the same way yep. that when I'm on the side yep. and you know, my, my uh, cast mates are always bringing stuff up. So yeah. 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 That's an accurate assertion. Okay, cool. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like I just like, Hey, can I just soft ball myself up uh, <laughs> something and then let you come yeah, on? Yeah. <laughs> That's what, that's what I do. I take it and I send it on back. Yeah. <laughs>
Because I do know that, like, I think I do my worst work whenever I am, like, in a narrative show and I can feel myself in the scene either, A, trying to just, like, store some facts or, B, like, trying to lay down some, some like, blueprints. It's more like yeah. that's the time. Yeah. And you might be different, but that's the time for me that I need to just be, like, flying by the seat of my pants and then figure it out after. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we do a lot of scenes where we don't talk about anything really for most of the scene and then it's just the last line that's plot yeah or the last two lines that's plot yeah so it's not unlike what you would do in any other improv scene yep. really that is we just say the- ryan that's the hardest thing to teach someone to do is just like wait and do the plot at the end because everyone's so keen to talk about the plot <laughs> no plot 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 yeah um but yeah uh, the story just happens uh, I think we just need to trust that mm. stories are like part of us. Mm. Like we feel those moments. Now for a practical nugget. When you finish your show, regardless of how you've gone, wait for the audience to exit and say thank you and make uh, smiles and uh, say thank you to every single audience member as they come out uh, because they've taken the time out they've chosen to see your show Uh, you know they could have done anything and they've chosen to see your show so the least you can do is say thank you Um, our suggestion is dishwasher it's clogged again oh we're gonna have to think about replacing that i reckon it's just it's, I've had enough. Sometimes I think I've had enough, but you know, then I think just one more chance. Yeah. You never know. Maybe, maybe it'll unplug itself. And oh, but you love giving, you love giving things an extra chance. There's so many bloody, there's so many things in this house that need to be at the tip. And uh, and to be frank, I mean, I've done plenty of things that you should be kicking me out for. And Everyone deserves a second, third, fourth chance. Just because I uh, zap myself on the ceiling fan doesn't mean we should throw out the ceiling fan. Yeah, but it's it's almost as though you're attaching sort of a, you know, you're anthropomorphizing everything, giving it like feelings, but the, the fan doesn't care if it's thrown out. Well, when, you, when I look up at it, it looks like it's got a little smiley face. Have you noticed that? Yeah, oh, the little pattern of the little the little metal nipple things. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh well, I wouldn't call them nipples. I thought they were eyes. Well, yeah. Well, they look. I mean, it just it's it's perspective. Eye nipples. No, it's perspective, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose so. But I, I, I just look up and see eyes, not nipples. Well, don't say that like like you're trying to disparage me for seeing them as nipples. Well, I kind of do. Like, look, I, I can't help that. If I see a dot on something, I, you know, the nearest thing to my thoughts is is a nip. I didn't know that about you. Didn't you? No. I mean, yeah, okay, that's that's weird. Because I mean, I I thought I brought I thought, I mean, honestly, I the reason I think it's weird is because like I look around the room and almost uh, the thing I see most is like. Is nipples like things that represent nips? 
Do you not see that? So you, are you seeing eyes everywhere? I'm seeing nips. Yeah. Okay. Well, eyes and and like noses and just faces, really, like combined. Like I just see faces. You're seeing faces in everything that yeah. I'm seeing nips in. So yeah. Okay. So every time you flick a light switch, is it like you're flicking a nipple? I mean, yeah. The those are the yeah. I mean, that's why I love light switches is because it's the it's sort of the nipples of the world you get to sort of interact with. I don't know. Is that weird? Whereas I feel like I'm just, I'm patting someone on the nose. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, but the, even that, that's invasive as well. I guess we're both sort of weird. Is this weird on both sides? I think we've both established that we're both weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with that, I mean, if I'm, I'm honest. I mean, we're not harming anyone, are we? No. I mean, you might feel like you're harming any, anyone, everyone, but then if I was to, if I was to cast aspersions on you for harming people's faces, then you you could just throw it right back at me for thinking that nips isn't harming. Yeah. Touching their nips isn't touching the touching the nips. <laughs> There you have it, my friends. That was Ryan Patterson on Listening Like a Thief. What a good time. What a good boy uh, that dog was. Mm-hmm. And Ryan. Uh, my thanks, as always, to Ryan for guesting on this show. And also uh, my thanks to my co-producers, Tiana and Josh. Tiana Hogben, Josh Todzizna. I don't say it enough. Thank you for the work you do also in getting this show out into the world. Um... Nothing else to report. We got classes going on. Terms are rolling on. If you are interested, check out the website. If you're in another part of the world, thanks for listening. Uh, hopefully, I'll meet you someday in your parts or my parts. All right, my friends. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Improv Conspiracy Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to take a moment to rate and review us on your preferred service. Five stars, please. We've got heaps of original sketch comedy on our YouTube page. Subscribe at youtube.com slash improvconspiracy 